The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You're at the right place at the right time. The Lord showed up today. You're here today. There's more than two or three of us, so he's in our presence today. What do you say we just reach out and get a hold of him today? and Let's let God do something in this house. Amen. I love, I love being with you. I love seeing the progress. I love seeing the changes. I love seeing all of you that didn't get to church early enough and you had to go to the top. But we'll call you the upper room, and so when the Holy Ghost falls, you'll get it first. So we'll, we'll, it'll offset what's going on. Um, if you don't love Rex and Patty Johnson, there's something wrong with your lover. It's broken. You need to, you need to take it and get it tuned up a little bit. Because these, uh, these people, I love staying with my, my sister. I love, I love sleeping at their house. They have a good sleeping house. First off, it's an igloo. I, I love to sleep in an igloo. It's cold. <laughs> Secondly, she gives you fresh soap. You know, when you stay at somebody's house and it's soap that's been there a little while, and you got to clean it before you use it. And you're going, hmm, hmm, hmm. you don't get that in my sister's house. You get fresh soap. And then when I'm in the shower this morning, and I'm, you know, it doesn't take long to wash my hair anymore, I look and I got all the shampoos I want. And then I got man wash. And there's a little bottle of man wash armor. And the man wash says it tingles. So I'm tingling in places you can't see today. I feel a tingle, and I don't think it's the Holy Ghost right now. I just, somewhere in the nether regions, I'm tingling, I'm telling you. It's just what God does. Thank you for the honor of being able to come and speak in this church. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, it's a privilege to be able to be in your house, and I count it that. Lord, it's, a, it's an honor for me to get to open your word. Now, Lord, I need your help because the vessel that you're using this morning, I know the flaws. I pray, God, that you could touch my mind and let it be quick and let me think properly. Touch my mouth. Give me the gift of vocabulary. And then touch the people that are listening because their ears need to be open to this. And whatever they've got to do today, Lord, let them push it out for the next 35 minutes and just tune in to your word and do something for them is my prayer. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Turn to somebody and say, you look a lot better than I do. Go ahead. <laughs> you may be seated. Now, if you're sitting next to someone and they didn't turn to you because they looked at someone else, you now know your position in their life. And you know how they really feel. To stand in this pulpit is um, it's an amazing honor because your pastor is one of the greatest uh, preachers of the gospel that I've ever heard, and I've followed him many, many years, and I believe in him. He teaches and preaches so many styles and ways, 
I know he is, he's used the one that I'm going to use with you this morning. It's called expository teaching. When you teach from the Word of God as expository, it means you just don't take a theme. You know, um, you take the word grace and then you build everything around it. You bring scriptures to it. You illustrate it. That's thematic te- teaching. And it's a, it's a wonderful way. We do it often. We'll do it next week for Easter. That's what we do. Expository teaching is when you take the Word of God and you just read through the Scripture and you just shine the light as bright as you can on the verse and let it expose. That's the word expository. Let it expose what you're reading. And what you find when you do that is that the Word of God always says what it means. It means what it says, but it will always mean something deeper because we rarely catch it. Just go ahead and nod with me now. We, we, we rarely catch it because that's why later you'll read over something that you've read 20 times and you'll read over and go, I never saw that. It was there all the time. You just didn't have the right light on it. So let's put some light this morning on Genesis chapter 22. How many of you have a Bible? Hold it up if you have one. How many have a, even electronic. Hold your electronic Bible up. If you're not going to be Facebooking, but you're actually going to be looking at Scripture, hold that up. If you saw people around you that didn't hold it up, they are the brilliant people. They have this memorized. They don't need a Bible. They just, they just going to go right there in their head and they have it with me. Let's go. Genesis 22, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, well, it's a long journey, three days, three days walking with death on his mind. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place far off. Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Wow, uh, Abraham, that's not what you heard in verse 1 or 2. And that, this might be where we're starting to see a reason why God finds in Abraham something he hadn't found in anyone else. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went through together. Isaac carried the wood. Abraham carried the fire and the knife. But Isaac spoke to (coughs) Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here I am, son, He said, look, here's the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. They came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, We don't know how old he is, but he's old enough to carry the wood. So we're not talking a baby, and he was old enough to have a good conversation. So Isaac had to have some willingness in this. He bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. 
Folks, I'm reading something to you that, that I'm telling you is way past my mind here. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the, on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him, I'll never forget to look behind you. There behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said this day, in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. I'm going to talk to you just for this few minutes we have today on a revelation from Genesis 22. Because I believe if you can get a revelation of Genesis 22, you'll understand what Palm Sunday is all about. You'll understand what we're celebrating this day and the next seven days. I hope that you've made the determination that you are not going to be illiterate concerning your faith. There's no reason to be illiterate in 2017. There's, there's, there's too much available, too, too easy, too accessible to be illiterate. Don't be ignorant in religion. Ignorant is not stupid. Stupid, it may be that a person doesn't have the ability. Ignorant means you just don't know. It goes to the word ignore. Now, what's the scripture? Verse, verse 1. It came to pass after these things, God tested Abraham. So I hope you write down some notes. <clears throat> Here's the first one I want you to know. It's important for us to know that not every test comes from Satan. Because I just read you that scripture. It said God tested Abraham. God has a desire to promote each of us from one grade to the next grade. He wants to move you from one level to the next level. The, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter uh, wrote in, I think in 1 Peter, he said, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, temperance, and patience, and brotherly kindness, and charity. And he said, if these things are in you and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. God, God wants you to move up. The life of a Christian should be a life of growth and expansion. And one way to know if someone is ready to be passed from one grade to the next is to test them. You wouldn't want the people who build the bridges to never be tested to know whether or not they know how to build them. You wouldn't want to wait till it collapsed and go, you know, that, don't go down. Those aren't good bridge builders. No, you want them to get tested. You want that welder to have to be tested all the way through. You want your accountant to take a test that he knows what he's supposed to do. You don't know how strong something is until you test it. You don't know how much pressure it can take until you test it. You don't know how much the steel can, can withstand until they break a few pieces of steel. And then they'll say, now that's the, the test strength. This will go to so much PSI. That, that, that's, that's what you can have here. You don't know how well a burden can be carried until you give someone a burden that they have to rely on God to carry. You say, well, I can handle that. Have you ever had it on you? No, you don't know if you can handle it yet. That, that's why we walk in humility, because we don't ever want to act like, oh, I, I've got that. You, you don't know if you've got that or not. 
And you look at someone and say, oh, they shouldn't do that. Have you been there? If you haven't been there, you, all, you should not say that because they have a grace to do something you may not have a grace to do. And, and that's an important thing to know. Uh, some, some say, I couldn't be married to him. That's why God didn't give you to him. If I was married to her, somebody would be in prison. That's why he didn't put you all together. But that doesn't mean they're wrong because I believe God gives you a grace for what you have to live in. Be sure you know this. God doesn't test you to break you. God tests you to prove you. So if you feel tested in something, I guess God hates me. He doesn't hate you. He's trying to move you out of the third grade into the fourth grade. He's not trying to break you. God, if you've been, because if you've been proven, when Satan shows up with a, to tempt you, you'll be able to say, no, 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 you get back from me. I, I, God's already given me that test, and I passed that test. That's why David could say, look, I killed a lion, and I killed a bear. Now I know I can kill this, this Philistine. I know I can. I can kill that giant because I've had some things in the past. So you need to know the test that you've been through is not to kill you. The test is to make you. It's to it's show you. We're, we can't get you out of the third grade until you pass that test. Some of us have been there so long, we stand up and the, the, the desk sticks to our rear end. We, we're too big for the desk, but we haven't passed the test. Been serving God 20 years and still doing third grade. The difference between temptation and test, you, you need to know this. There's a, there's a big difference between temptation and test. Well, God's tempting me. No, no. Satan tempts you. God tests you. Big difference, folks. Big, big difference. Because one is to destroy you, and one is to promote you. So when, when, when God tests you, it's only to promote you. When Satan tempts you, it's only to destroy you. Well, I, I, I've been around this woman. I guess God's, God's testing me. God's not testing you with that woman. That's, that's Satan. Get away from that woman. So in that same line of thinking, if your biggest test is that somebody's talking negatively about you, then you know you're still in the lower grades. If your biggest trial is someone's not treating you right or you took food to the bereaved family and they threw yours out because they saw something. If, they if, that, if your biggest test is she won't talk to me, then you need to know you, God's not testing you beyond your grade level. Verse 2, he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I'll tell you. Let me put this in your mind. Don't ever think God doesn't know what he's asking you for. God, you just don't know what this means to me. No, he knew he was asking for Isaac. He was very specific in asking for Isaac. He was very specific in where he was going to send him. The reason God chose Isaac is because that would be the test material. Choosing somebody that Abraham didn't love wouldn't be a test. So it's only a test because, and then he said, I'll show you the mountain that you're supposed to go to. You and I need to make sure that we're not offering sacrifices on the wrong mountains. So this is just, we're expository, right? We're walking through. Verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled the donkey, took two young men with him. Isaac, his son, split the wood, rose and went to the place God told him. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place far off. Verse 5, stay here, he said to the young men. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I go yonder and worship and we'll come back to you. Now, Abraham and Isaac had... 
they had journeyed three days to Mount Moriah. So for three days, Abraham carried his stuff for his meeting with God. For, for, for three days, he, he carried his stuff. He, for three days, he knew his son was as good as dead because he knew that Isaac was going to die somewhere in that mountainous region of Moriah. For three days, he held Isaac's hand and walked into the valley of the shadow of death. And then notice when, <clears throat> when he got close to it, he turned to the, the men around him and he said, stay here with the donkey. I think there's some revelation in that. In the name of Jesus, let me help you and let me help release you from thinking that everybody around you is going to be able to go where God's sending you. Some of us aren't going where God's trying to send us because we're trying to get everybody to go. And God, God didn't want everybody to go. God's given you an assignment and you are jeopardizing your assignment trying to get everybody to go with you. Absolutely wearing yourself out trying to make everybody agree with you. We, we, we want everybody to like this idea. We want everybody to be on board. We, we want everybody to go. We don't want to leave anybody behind. Put this down. A sure way to wreck your ministry in your life is to think you can take everybody with you. That's a sure way. Oh, that, that right there is the worst, worth the price of admission. Right there. That right there. If you didn't pay anything, you need to pay something before you leave because I just gave you a gold nugget right there. You, you've got to get a hold of that because there's some things that you are going to and there are some things that you are going, going to be going through that will devastate some people. So God in his love says, let's leave these people here and you go on to do that. You may come back to them, but you've got to go do what I've called you to do. They don't need to make the journey with you. So Abraham looked at the young men and said, stay with the donkey. There's, would y'all like me to read that in the King James Version? Stay with the donkey. There's just some people who stay with donkeys. Quit trying to make somebody who has a gifting to be steady, to be a, an explorer when they're supposed to just be steady and hold the donkey. So when you get back, you're going to need that donkey. So you be nice to them. Quit acting like they're below you. They're not below you. They just have a different mission than you have. That, so, well, she's just a waitress. She's not just a waitress. She may just be holding the donkey right now, but she has a destination. Stop making everybody who leaves you a devil. Somebody, somebody walked off, not, they may not be a devil. In fact, Jesus never called Judas a devil, but he did call Simon Peter one. Y'all ready? Y'all the 9 o'clock church. Y'all yeah? supposed to be ready. You had your Wheaties. You're ready, okay? <laughs> Abraham knew that something was going to happen on that mountain that the young men with him could not handle. So he didn't take them to a place they can't handle. Where God is sending you, some people can't go. Let them stay where they are. They're just supposed to be there. Some people just hold donkeys. And Abraham told them, my son and I are going yonder to worship. Now God had told him that you're going to that mountain to sacrifice your son. <clears throat> Abraham said, we are going to worship. That must mean God calls sacrifice what Abraham calls worship. 
And if your worship doesn't call for a little sacrifice, you may want to think about that. Stand there and let us sing these songs and just look at us. This isn't a concert. You're supposed to be singing, covered, I'm covered, covered by his blood. And when you do that, your voice begins to speak over your life the very things that God's been saying over you. And your worship involves you in what God's doing. Big, big, big deal. (coughs) Then the last part of those verses, Abraham said, we will return to you. That's not what God had told him. But sometimes faith begins to show itself before anybody else ever sees it. Because Abraham told the young men, Isaac and I are coming back. He spoke by faith. Sometimes, sometimes you know God so well in your heart that you say, I know, I heard what you said, and I'm going to fulfill what you said. But knowing the nature of God, it, it, God's not done with this yet. Don't put a period where God put a comma. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together, just the two of them, because there's some places that only you and your sacrifice can go. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God is closes and he walks With me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever. Some places only you and your sacrifice can go. And some of your deepest sacrifices happen on lonely mountains. And I want you to notice that the father put the wood for the sacrificial offering on his own son. Isaac carried the wood. Abraham, the father, carried the fire, the knife. It was the wood, the wood that Isaac carried was the wood he himself was going to be put on to die. Now let's pick this up. Verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham. He said, Father, I'm here, son. Here's the fire. Here's the wood. Where is the lamb? Abraham said, Son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Verse 9, they came to the place God told him. Abraham built an altar there, put the wood in order, bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar, put him on the wood, And Abraham stretched out his hand to slay his son. Abraham builds an altar and places his son on the altar. God knows what he's asking you for. 
We keep trying to remind God, God, not, not this. I'll give anything else, God. Don't, don't test me on this. He knows how much it means to you. And that's why it gets used for the test. Because if it was something that didn't mean anything to you, you wouldn't be tested on it. So Abraham pulls his knife from the sheath. And there he raises it. I I have one son. I, I cannot imagine what I'm telling you right now. He raises it above his son who is looking up at him bound on the wood that he carried and as he is ready for the downward stroke and the sun is glinting off the blade at that moment the voice from heaven cries Abraham and he stops and he says do not lay your hand on the lad verse 12 for now I know that you fear God wait a minute wait 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 a minute How can God of eternity use the word now I know? Because now is a word of time. Are we going now? No, we're going later. He said he would come now, but now is where we're going. Are we going now? I got ready to get dressed this morning. I was coming downstairs. Button was broken. I thought we were going to go at a certain time, but that was not our now. Our now came a few minutes later after my wife put a button on the shirt. Now. Now means I didn't know, but now I know. And God said, now I know. He is the God who lives in eternity. He's outside of time. He understands where the beginning is. He understands where the ending is. And that same God said, now I know. So this brings revelation to the scripture. God will allow you to prove yourself, and then he will rewrite your story after your proving ground. He will allow you to prove and he'll rewrite. Remember, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And as an author, if you get ready to write in a character, you can write him in. And if you want to write him through a valley, you can write him through a valley. And if you want to bring him out and rewrite what you've already written, you're the author. And God looked at Abraham and said, now I know. I wonder if he looked, Pastor, I wonder if he looked at the angels and said, I think we may have found our guy. Now I know. Four times in the scripture it says Abraham believed God and it was counted for righteousness. So God had finally found a man who was believing on a level that was far beyond what anybody else was doing. So watch what happened. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham took the ram, offered it for burnt offering instead of his son. Now, you just, I got to hurry. I want you to draw this. Abraham sees a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. He he had been there all the time, but he was just now able to see it. I think there may be some answers around you that are already around you. You just haven't had an enlightened eye yet to see it. The ram is there. That ram had been in the hands of God. Now Abraham is allowed to touch the ram and it becomes his substitution. Let let me help you here. If you'll give God your stuff, God will give you his stuff. Abraham journeyed three days leading his son to that sacrifice. Just, just so we could understand it, you know, if I can 
do an anthropomorphical uh, look here where I'm acting like God would do the same thing we, do, we would do. That means God journeyed three days with his ram. He's walking three days with his son in his hand with death on his mind. God's walking three days up the other side of the mountain with life on his mind. Abraham's walking saying, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And God's walking up this side of the mountain saying, I, I may have found the guy that I've been looking for that I, I, I may start a whole race out of this guy if I, if I can get him to come along. He's walking up saying, there's no way that I'm ever going to be explaining this to anyone. And God's walking up saying, this will be, I'll bless his seed in ways that nobody could have ever understood and nobody could have ever known. Abraham walked in obedience. God walked in faithfulness. And every time you take a faith-filled step, God's moving up the other side of your mountain too. Every time you walk, he's walking. It was Abraham's biggest trial coming up one side. It was God's greatest miracle coming up the other side. It was Abraham's greatest problem coming up one side. And it was God's greatest solution coming up the other side. Abraham walked with death on his mind. And God walked with life on his mind. You just need to know you're not the only one walking. Abraham dreaded every step he took. I just wonder if God kind of peeked around the mountain because he's God. Is he, he's still coming. Abraham was walking to death. God was walking to life. Abraham said, I'm about to lose it all. God said, he's about to gain it all. Abraham saw it as a trial. God said, look at this great triumph. When they got to the top of the mountain, Abraham tied up Isaac and God tied up the ram. And in chapter 22 of Genesis, God introduced one of the greatest themes in scripture. It's called substitution. It's the reason you and I are still alive today to be able to hear this sermon. Because this lesson about substitution that God was instructing Abraham on impacts you and me eternally. Because on that day, on that mountain, God introduced to Abraham substitutionary sacrifice. God had a sacrifice waiting on Abraham, but he didn't see it until he was willing to give his all. Now, let me, let me, let me tie this together for you. We don't have time to do it, but do it on your own. Promise me you'll do it on your own. Go back to Genesis 14, and you're going to read about a man named Melchizedek. Abraham met Melchizedek on a, on a road. Melchizedek was called the priest of God most high. Go back and read. He was the king of Salem. He was king of Salem in a province called Jerush. Later, Salem got so big, the province was mostly Salem. So they just started calling it Jerusalem. Love it when the light comes on. God told Abraham to go to the region of Moriah where he would offer a sacrifice. 
Moriah is like what we would say here, the hill country. It's not just one mountain, it's an area. Not near as big as our hill country, but it's, it, it's, it's a mountainous region. And it's in and out of Jerusalem. It, some of it's in the city of Jerusalem now, and some of it's out of it. So Abraham has just witnessed a miracle on a hilltop on a mountain called Moriah. Now it's hard to know the exact spot, but we do know this. Abraham and Isaac met God and his ram on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And something transpired that happened that day that is impacting you and me, Palm Sunday 2017. Verse 13, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead, in place of his son. Abraham found a substitute sacrifice on the mountain. The mountain that God prophesied it's called the Lord will provide. Isaac carried wood up a hill in Moriah. He carried wood his daddy prepared for him to die on. It was the wood on which he would be placed upon and sacrificed. Jesus carried wood up a hill in a mountainous region called Moriah. He carried wood that his father prepared for him to die on. It was the wood that he would be placed upon and sacrificed. For three days, Abraham journeyed knowing his son was as good as dead. For three days, Jesus lay in a grave and everyone said that he was dead. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham believed God would raise his son Isaac back from the dead. Jesus told everybody, you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise this temple back from the dead. Before Isaac was killed, a substitute was found with briars and thorns on his head. The ram was tied in a thorny thicket by his head. Jesus, the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth, was on the same hill with a crown of thorns upon his head. Abraham saw a lamb. Jesus was the lamb. Abraham said, we're going to worship. And there's been millions who have worshiped on that hill. As they said, behold the lamb. Abraham said he and his son would return. Jesus said he and his father would return. Abraham's lamb died and Isaac was saved. God's lamb 
his own son, Jesus Christ, died, and the whole world can be saved. Our time's up, and here's here's what I want to leave you with. Jesus Christ was woven into the story of God thousands of years before he was born to Mary and Joseph. And if God took that much care and attention to put that story together, what does he have in mind for you? It would be foolish for you to pay for sins he's already paid for. Now just imagine we, 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 we go somewhere and and Reed, is, he sees me in, in the restaurant and he, he calls my waiter over and he pays for my meal and I don't know what's happening and Reed waves to me as he's leaving and then I get ready to pay and they say, no, that, that good looking guy that walked out, he, he paid for it. Well, I ate it, I, I know, but he, he liked you, he, he wanted to pay for it. Watch, you get a couple reactions. Oh, that ain't right. That ain't right. I ate it, my food, I'm paying for it. Sir, it's already paid for. Well, I'm paying for it myself. What kind of crazy would you have to be to pay for something that's already paid for? The same kind of crazy you'd have to be to pay the price for your sins. After that story I just told you where it's already been paid for. All you have to do is accept the substitute. See, that's where he taught substitutionary sacrifice. You just simply have to accept the substitute. And the substitute died for you. So you don't have to. But you have to put your faith in his death. And then you have to follow him as your Christ, your God, your leader. And now, if he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders, 